Welcome to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast, a show dedicated to the storytelling that happens or should happen when practitioners purchase technology. Each episode is designed to inspire new ways and ideas to make your business better as we speak with the brightest minds in recruitment and HR tech. That's what we do. Here's your host, William Tincup. This is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Use Case Podcast. Today, we have Jacqueline on from 100 Coaches. And we'll be learning about the use case, business case, et cetera, for 100 coaches. So why don't we start with introductions. Jacqueline, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and 100 coaches? Fantastic. Thank you so much, William. It's a pleasure to be here. 100 Coaches was started about seven years ago by a man named Marshall Goldsmith, who's globally recognized as the number one executive coach. He invented most of the methods that are now used for executive coaching about four decades ago. And so even if you don't know Marshall, you may be aware of some of his methods if you're aware of things like the 360 process or stakeholder-centered coaching or some of the most commonly used methods, or you might have read his books, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, or Triggers, or some of the other New York Times bestsellers. So Marshall, seven years ago, decided that he wanted to teach 15 people everything that he knew, and it was a pay-it-forward project. And around that time... He created a video on LinkedIn and encouraged people to apply, and over 12,000 people applied. Now over 20,000 people have applied to be a part of this community and to learn from Marshall and learn Marshall's methods. And now, I guess it's been seven years, and we now have around 400 members total. So, of course, 100 is now a denotation of quality rather than of quantity. This is a community of top thought leaders, executive coaches, and executives. And now on top of that, we've created the 100 Coaches Agency, and we exist quite simply because it's hard to find an executive coach, especially at the highest levels. And companies actually were starting to approach us several years ago and asking if we might be able to make those recommendations for them because it's a fragmented market and difficult to navigate. Especially at that that level, right? Oh, exactly. Exactly. What's I've always wondered about this. What's the hardest... With executive coaching at the highest level, the board, C-suite, et cetera, vice presidents, et cetera, what's the barrier? What's the hardest thing to to the algebra or whatever you're figuring out to make that a great match for both the coach as well as the person being coached? Yeah, it's such a wonderful question. And the answer is it's more, it's both an art and a science, right? There's something about the feel and the fit that's really important. We have seen this many times where just because someone is a great coach doesn't necessarily mean that they're a great coach for you. Um, (laughs) And so finding that right equation is where we see sparks fly. And so, of course, it's based upon some level of, of past experience and similar understanding, maybe a subject matter expertise that some of those harder skills or things you might see on someone's resume that say why these two people would be good for one another and might collaborate well together. But then there's also the softer side that we're looking at, which is maybe a personality or some other kind of intangible feeling that we get when, and it comes from knowing two people and being in relationship with two people. So I wish there was some secret formula. There's not. That's we like, know that it's worth shooting for that great match. It's like a lot of things. It depends, right? But I love the what you said because a great coach doesn't necessarily mean a great coach for you. Have you, this is probably a dumb question, but bear with me. Do 
do men and women need different things from coaches? Again, dumb question alert. Because I don't know, especially at that level. I don't know if there's that much of a difference or if it's really different at the executive level or if men and women, basically they need this, needed the same things and need coaches that kind of help can help them with the same things or if their needs are different. That's such a good question. Thank you for asking that. After now having talked to several hundred executives over the course of the last several years and being really involved with this curation and matching process myself, There are some trends and things that start to emerge. One thing that's interesting is, of course, the higher up the leader is in an organization, the less likely they are to be a woman. That's just Uh based on my own observation. And so if there are fewer women reaching those levels, it says that their experience is a little different because they're becoming more and more a minority as they rise. But additionally, there are women at those slightly lower levels that are trying to reach the highest levels. And of course, their needs are potentially a little bit different because they're charting uncharted territory. And so it makes perfect sense that they would need some additional support. But I would say in general, it's hard to make generalizations between men and women because each individual is really different and their situation is different and their company culture is different. And so there are there is still a lot of variability even within the, each of those categories. It, again, is there is we said that there's less women at the at that level. Are there less coaches? Are there less more, less female coaches? coaches oh, well? less female coaches at the highest level. Yeah. But that's a really interesting question as well. So the coaching industry actually is skewed more heavily towards women. There are more female coaches than male coaches. But at the very highest levels, I would say, yes, there do tend to be, in my observation, more men coaching at the very highest levels. But we are that is something we're really trying to shift in our work with 100 coaches as well. And we do think there are a lot of really amazing female coaches that are coaching at the very highest level. That's interesting. It's interesting that the people that need the coaching. <laughs> and again, not like my wife works in a male-dominated space, a little uh, architecture. And she actually, if you were to talk to her about it, she actually does better with men than she does with women. So if she were to have an executive coach, she'd probably pick a male, not a female, yeah. which I don't know what's going on there. But so I guess it all comes down to what do you need as a, I say, mentee or coachee, what do you need? to then figure out how to, you know, let me rephrase. How does someone like on the, what do you call them coaches? What do you call them? Yeah, you could call them a coachee or a client. Client. Okay. On the client side, it's easier because coachee just leads me to a bunch of different places. So on the client side, how do we figure out what they need? Because there's a difference between what they perceive that they need, or I would assume that there's a difference between what they perceive that they need from coaching and what they actually need from coaching. So tear that apart if I've got that wrong. No, you're great, man. You're the perfect person to talk to because that's it's really interesting to hear what people express. And when you read into it and see the patterns or even talk to someone's HR leader, what the HR leader says that they need is different than sometimes what that executive says that they need. And so you're right, perception does come into play here. And so to go back just briefly to the difference between men and women coaching at the highest levels. For example, some executives think, oh, I need someone who's been in my shoes, Mm. who's been an executive themselves and can advise me on the situations that I'm facing. 
And of course, if that's what you're looking for, if there have been more male executives who have turned coaches, now you're looking at a primarily male pool of coaches rather than at some of the female coaches who actually may be better at helping you navigate the interpersonal dynamics and relationships right, right. at those very highest levels that will that will then help you get to that next level. And so that actually, we might actually try to show you a, a very talented female coach at the highest level who can help you in those areas. Do and they but, do it? Do they do an assessment? Um, that how we is there an inventory or a way to figure out what they need? Yeah, each company is different. Now, right. some companies do have really clear leadership competencies and behaviors that they're right. assessing people on. A lot of companies, it's now far more common to use 360 assessments of various types. Sometimes those can be surveys and sometimes those can be based on live interviews. But in any case, people are recognizing that lots of dimensions start to give us a little bit more color. And so sometimes companies come to us with a, having done a lot of that pre-work and assessment and understanding what their executives really need. And sometimes they say, we don't know. We're very open. Can you guide us? And that's both of those cases work really well. It's just slightly different. It's just different styles and different ways of doing things. But if we, the way we do it at 100 Coaches Agency is we like to have a 30-minute call with either an HR leader or an executive and just talk through things with them, ask them some questions. At this point, having talked to several hundred executives, we can start to see patterns that other people may not be able to see. Um, and again, like you said, to William, it's really interesting to then hear what they perceive they need and then to be able to peel back one layer behind that and, <laughs> and apply a little bit of our own judgment about what we think they might actually really need. And we try to give them at least three options of coaches that are qualified, but might show them a slightly different flavor of coaching and maybe even have a slightly different area of expertise. And then it's important for them to have those calls. And together with the coach, they'll talk about some of the coaches will each have a conversation with them and share some of their perceptions and make some suggestions for areas for growth. And then the leader will decide which one is really the right fit for them. And I think it's really important that leader makes the final call and feels ownership over their decision. So when we get it right, what does that look like? Do we have analytics or everyone's going to ask like ROI and things like that? But basically, there's three ways a relationship could possibly kind of work out between a client and a coach. It either really works out, mm -hmm. it doesn't work out, or it's neutral. And so let's do both. Uh, let's do both the kind of the polarities of, mm -hmm. okay, we know it worked out. What does that look like? And how does that get expressed back to the folks that are paying for this? This is a great question. And there's constant new growth in the area of measuring coaching outcomes. And that's something that we look at a lot at the agency. And again, it's hard to make sweeping generalizations because each situation is different. So for a sales leader, for example, it's very clear to see whether or not they've been successful. If the goal, let's say, was to increase their business unit's productivity or grow their sales, you can see those numbers quite clearly. But if someone's in a role that's more a enable, value enabler role, you have to get a little bit more creative with some of those metrics. And that's the same as we see in assessments at end of year performance reviews and the like. So figuring out what those assessments and what those metrics are going to be is a really important step in coaching. And that usually happens within the first month. A good coach will help a leader get really clear about figuring out what those metrics are and then really systematically addressing those so that you're right at the end of six months or a year, you can say very clearly, we have met our goals. 
So for some people that might be, yes, like a certain business unit metric or certain number of tickets closed or whatever the case may be. For some people, it's getting to the next level. They want to get a promotion or they're being considered for succession to a C-suite or CEO role. And so whether or not they get that role is a sign of success. For other people, entrepreneurs, they're looking to raise funding or have a successful exit. And so looking at some of those metrics becomes really important. I love that. There's no hard and fast rules. No, and every client's company needs something different. Every client needs something different because they might not think it's, they might, they might think it's going swimmingly and maybe there's some room for improvement, et cetera. Then let's go to the opposite side. Okay. When a match doesn't work, what, how do we know that a match does not work, that a client and a coach just not to put blame anywhere. It's just sometimes these things with best intentions, it just don't work out as well as we thought they would. So when that happens, what do we, how do we adjust? Yes, absolutely. So I would say the earliest indicator that a mismatch has occurred is when either either the client or the coach or both are feeling not energized and working together. Coaching should really feel like the best part of your week. Yes, your coach is going to be a healthy challenger. They're going to push you and make you a little uncomfortable in some ways, but you should really enjoy the time together and be looking forward to the growth and the safe space that a coach provides. If that's not the case for whatever reason, and it starts to feel more like a chore, that's an early sign that things may not be working out. And that could be for a few reasons. It could be a personality mismatch, or it could just be that coaching's not really the right intervention for you at this time. And those, I think that's an early way to see. I would encourage people not to wait until six months or a year has elapsed before you realize, hey, this isn't working out. I would voice that concern as soon as possible. And a skilled coach will also be able to guide in that way, whether that's changing the way that the engagement is structured or maybe saying, hey, I I do think it's right for us to go our separate ways and maybe there's a better resource out there for you. Love it. So what questions should folks ask when we're thinking about executive coaching? Again, this is probably client and client company. When they're thinking about going down the path, maybe they haven't before and they've never really invested heavily in this space. What are the questions that they should be asking in the buy side? Yeah, I think one of the most important things to ask, especially if you're looking for a coach on your own and not working with an agency like 100 Coaches Agency, is of course to ask about the experience and track record of that coach. You want them to have a demonstrated track record of success working with leaders at your level with certain situations or similar situations Um, And that's a really good way to know and have confidence that this coach has seen these things and can guide you through those situations as well. We do think that, of course, it is helpful to work with an agency who can help essentially do a lot of that pre-work for you. And then you don't have to be as focused on identifying whether this coach is a good coach or just looks like a good coach. You can be focused instead on what feels like the right fit for me. And again, we recommend speaking with at least three different coaches in your coach search. It's much like buying a house. (laughs) It's a big investment. You only do it a few times in your life. And you want to be able, you want to be with an experienced person who can guide you through that process. But also 
you don't want to just buy the first house. You want to look around and see what the options are and really get a sense for what's out there and what feels like the right home for you. And the same is true with coaching is it ultimately will come down to a feeling and it is a big investment, but it is also one of the best investments companies can make in helping their talent go further, creating better results for a company, retaining their leaders. And so we do think it's still really worthwhile. I had a question really quickly going backwards to outgrowing a coach or a coach outgrowing a client, because I guess that could work both ways, right? How do you, how does a client deal with that? Like they feel like they've gotten the all the advice out of someone, whether or not it's true or not, a lot of this is just perception, right? So if they perceive that they've gotten every all the value out of a particular coach, how do they move to another a new coach? So, you ask really great questions, William. I have to say that, yeah, that's a normal part of the process. It's I think it would be the hope for most coaches that their leader that they're working with has really evolved and grown so much that they need something else. And so it, that is part of the process is being able to say, this has been a really wonderful engagement. I would say most people find around the one year to two year mark tends to be a time where they feel like they've exhausted a lot of the benefit from one resource, and they might be looking for something different, be it they've encountered a new challenge or a new era of growth for themselves. And so, yeah, they'll be looking for a different resource. I've certainly had several coaches over the course of my career as well, and it is a natural part of the process. And your coach should be someone you should feel comfortable being able to voice those things with and shouldn't feel any hesitation in sharing that. Right. So some of it's like therapy on some level. If it's just not the right fit, it's just not the right fit. You just got to you just gotta kind of own it and go, everyone's got the best intentions here. If you've out, if you feel like you've, <laughs> I keep putting that modifier on there. If you feel like you've outgrown, then just head into it and uh, and talk with folks because you might or you might not have. But Exactly. I and much like therapy, just because one <laughs> there's one bad fit doesn't mean therapy's not for you. <laughs> oh, 100%. I think... Personally, I think therapy should be mandatory. But like, <laughs> you get your driver's license, you have to go to therapy, period, end of story. Or to vote, <laughs> you have to go to therapy, period, end of story. Favorite customer story without brands or names or anything like that, but just something where you saw a client that maybe was struggling with something and just you saw a kind of complete turnaround. Yeah, I'll give, if I may, I have two quick examples. One example, I love the story of the, an uncoachable leader, someone who thinks that they know it all and have been, the board had enlisted a coach for someone. And, and he said, I don't need no coach. The board should mind their own business. I'm, I'm running this company just fine. They hired me. And the coach said, the board actually has the ability to fire you. So <laughs> you might want to listen to what they're saying. And that was a light bulb moment for him. And he realized, oh, I do need to get along with the board. I do need to really hear what they're saying. And over the course of the next year, he had this just profound transformation, really began to collaborate well with others and became very open to the whole coaching process and achieved really extraordinary results. And this is a private equity backed company. And of course, the, they had a very successful exit and it was just a really wonderful success story where everyone who worked at that leader saw the transformation in him and actually didn't fear him the way that they used to. Now they really enjoyed and were excited to work with him. And I think that's a really powerful story. Another one, this one's very recent, is someone who is already a very conscious leader. 
running an amazing company, had seen that company through the financial crisis, and they were looking at having to cut expenses. The company was almost on the verge of going under. And he stood up in front of the company and gave this speech and said, companies can either be like merry-go-rounds or roller coasters. And merry-go-round is fine. It's safe. You know where you are. You know where you're going. But this company is about to be a little bit more of a roller coaster. We're falling on hard times with the financial crisis. And it's going to be a little scary. But we also believe in what we're building here. No judgment. You can feel free to, to leave the company and we'll pay your severance. And that's totally fine. But if you want to stay, we're going to be reducing everyone's pay by 25% until we weather the storm. Right. Only one person left the company. The rest stayed and took the 25% pay cut for six months. And then again, this leader had really galvanized the entire team through a very challenging situation. And so this was how he was naturally, just amazing guy. But he came to us recently and said, how can I go even further? What am I seeing? What am I not seeing yet? How can I create an even better company and an even better environment? And I think that's the real, real coachable people realize that they can always be better. They can always grow and learn in new ways. And I think that's really amazing too, because this is already a very talented and successful leader. And yet he recognizes that with some coaching support, he'll go even further. So the phrase uncoachable, where does that come from? Because I've heard that many times, like this person is uncoachable. uncoachable. Is that they just don't believe in coaching? They just, <laughs> they just don't believe in the concept of coaching or they're... They don't want to be vulnerable because I think to some degree, client and coach have to figure that stuff out on their own, but you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to actually say what you don't know, or you've got to be able to open to trying things a different way or listening to someone else's experience, which is some of it's about vulnerability. So like what, what makes somebody uncoachable? Yeah, that's a, such a great point, William. That's exactly right. It's being hesitant to engage in the coaching process. And I'll mention that uh, Scott Osman, the president of 100 Coaches, myself, and Marshall Goldsmith, who I mentioned earlier, have all three of us have just finished writing the manuscript for a book called Becoming Coachable. Oh, uh, cool. And so we actually have been exploring this topic in detail, and we've identified four key dimensions to coachability, which are feedback, accountability, action, and change. And if you're open and willing to embrace all four of those things, then you're a coachable person. And part of the basis for this is my own experience being a collegiate rower. I realized that people who were uncoachable or didn't take feedback well, for example, it, let's say in the boat, didn't go as far as people who did take feedback and coaching well. And, and what's funny is even some of those people who were, quote, uncoachable or less coachable were more gifted athletes. But those more gifted athletes didn't end up going as far as people who were less gifted but more coachable. Right. And I think the same is true in the world of executive coaching, where if you're willing to engage in that process, it will change you. It will grow you. You will learn to engage with feedback in a really healthy way. And so it's worth coming to a coaching engagement open and prepared for that process. Drops mic, walks off stage. <laughs> Jacqueline, thank you so much. I can't wait to, for your book to come out. That sounds fascinating. Thank you so much. We're really excited for it. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. Until next time. You've been listening to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and hit us up at recruitingdaily.com. 